Welcome to another Dragonland Saga review episode. It is Misham Yurth Green, the 27th. My name is Adam, and today I'm going to give you my spoiler review of Return of the Exile by Mary H. Herbert. This concludes the Lynch and Majir trilogy, and uh, I will be spoiling this story. So if you don't want to know about it, stop watching this, go read the book, come back and watch it then. For all of you uh, joining live throughout the course of this conversation, welcome. And, uh, Put any thoughts and ideas or i don't know dreams that you have about dragonlance in the live chat and uh you know the way these work is i'll just sort of read through my review and then just sort of riff a little bit of dragonlance off of each of you or riff off the story for just a little bit and, and that's kind of it you know we're just here to have some fun it's my friday today so i hope you guys are going to have a great your friday when you have it all right uh, I would like to take a moment and uh, thank all of the members of this YouTube channel and invite you to consider becoming a member by visiting the links in the description below and remind you that you can always pick up Dragonlance Gaming materials using my affiliate links also in the description below. All right, so Frylock, thanks for stopping in. Solid Gumby, how you doing? It's going to be a good one, finally. Unlike the previous novels, and to my sheer joy... Mary dives right back into the story in this third and final novel without belaboring too much content of the previous novels. Lynch is on a ship sailing to Ithencarthia with Lanther, her betrothed. However, once she gets there, she realizes that she may have made a terrible mistake. The setting of the Tarmax Island, however, is fantastic and worth reading the novel for this information alone. It sets up a culture that has been pretty vacant thus far and explores the cultural discord the Tarmac have with the other subjugated cultures that share their island, the Damjak, or People of the Plains, and the Akina, or Jungle People. Both cultures are important to understand as they set up animosity and fear of the Tarmac that is... Uh, that has to be hidden lest this incredibly powerful culture retaliates more than they already have. So Lynch quickly realizes that women are also subjugated in tarmac culture, though they are forced to train and be healthy so that they can bear healthy children. Much like Spartans of our own history, deformed babies are murdered. This is really, really brutal, and it just forces me to think about uh, how people in our modern culture complain about abortion in the, uh, Western cultures. And it seems to belie an ignorance of the true horror of our actual ancestry when it comes to infant births. But back to the novel. Before Lanther was sent to Ancelon in the Plains of Dust to conquer it, he was betrothed to the Emperor's second daughter, Malawatha. This was an honor for her, but not much of one for him. Once he met Lynsha... All previous proposals were off, and Lanther chose Lynchia instead. This pissed off Malawatha, understandably, and she takes her frustrations out on Lynchia. Lynchia seems to please the Emperor's wife with her warrior training and her dragon scale necklaces. She's even called the Drafkin Kayla, or Dragon Friend. It turns out, thanks to Arikin, that the Tarmac celebrate the strength of dragons in their culture. Lanther forces Lynchia to fight the Malawatha to the death. And after Lynchia finally kills her, the Emperor takes his corpse to an, or her corpse to an underground holy place that is inhabited by a young but sick brass dragon. The Tarmac are keeping it hostage so that they can use it to burn their dead, and, uh, and, which is an honor in the Tarmac culture. Then they kill a dragon egg and drink it in a potion that the Tarmac believe gives them strength. 
They've already killed all of the brass dragon eggs and are now moving on to the new clutch, which was promised to Lynchia, that Lanther stole. Now, this infuriates Lynchia, but there isn't much she can do about it. She mentally connects with the brass dragon and learns her name is Sirenfelt. Lynchia promises to help her, and Lanther tells Lynchia that they will marry in five days and that Lanther will leave for Ancelon, abandoning Lynchia on Ithancarthia. Once again, this terrifies and infuriates Lynchia, who is trying her best to scheme and find a way off the island. Lynchia sneaks into the dragon's lair with the aid of her servant, Athek, and meets with Sirenfeld, planning to leave before she uh, is to be married to Lanther in three days. The dragon is convinced that she can refrain from eating until then to make sure that she isn't poisoned or drugged by the tarmac. Then, when Lynchia tries to go to the dragon a couple of days later, the dragon is drugged. She's forced to marry Lanther, then there's this massively large feast, and Lynchia drugs Lanther with the sleeping powder that Athek made. She goes to grab Sirenfell, only to once again be caught, but this time Sirenfell wakes up to help Lynchia. The dragon bursts out of the dungeons, burning down the Tarmac castle, and Lynchia flees with the courtesan from Mirage, the city, named Callista, and the dragon Sirenfell from Ithancarthia. So, to make sure that they aren't followed, the dragon burns the entire Tarmac fleet as they fly away. This is a great moment of victory foreshadowing Doom, as Sirenfell has slivers of the Abyssal Lance in her, slowly working their way to her heart. And that is becoming a very tired trope in this series of novels. The Abyssal Lance can apparently be broken apart and dissected while still holding all of its power in each of its disparate pieces. This is unlike every other magical item, including a Dragonlance. It seems way too overpowered. Anyway, they find fl um, that flying to Ancelon becomes problematic as the dragon is increasingly ex exhausted and has to take longer to rest in the ocean. Lynchia and Callista are both running out of water when they find land to rest, and Sirenfell is dying. She refuses to strand these two women on this island, so she uses the last bit of her strength to get them as close to the Minotaur Isles as possible before she ultimately falls from the sky and dies. Sharks begin tearing apart her body, which makes me wonder, how the hell can these sharks get through these dragon scales? Like, that doesn't make sense. Anyway, they're both rescued from certain death by Varia, Crucible, and his dolphin friends. They, the reunion actually brought mist to my eyes. I was just thinking of the novel Robinson Crusoe, where the film Castaway, and after resigning them to the, uh, after those characters resigning themselves to their fate, and finally getting rescue, I could only imagine what the sheer joy must feel like and how overwhelming it was. So they end up flying around the southern end of Ancelon and meeting up with the remaining rebels near Mirage, so that Lynchia can reclaim the dragon eggs stolen by Lanther. They bluff their way into the city and are told that somehow Lanther is coming back to Ancelon or is already here miraculously, as Lynch is pulled into the treasury violently. How Lanther can possibly get from Ithancarthia to the Plains of Dust at the same time or before Lynchia, who was on Dragonback the whole time, is impossible. Like, it doesn't make any sense unless he can teleport via sorcery. But that's the thing with sorcery in this age, the wild magic, it's unreliable. And so though in the Dragons of a New Age trilogy, Palin Majir, who is the most powerful sorcerer on the entire planet, was popping in and out of all over places, Lanther isn't that. 
And this is actually at the end of the War of Souls. And so magic is actively being sapped by all of the spirits on behalf of Tachesis. So there's no possible way that Lanther could have done it. But he did. So. That aside. Uh, let's see. Where, where did I leave off? Um, Lynch is pulled into the treasury violently. Uh, and that sort of stops the second third of the story where I ended up stopping. This is a great story that I hope has some version of a happy ending. Lanther, a regular human, seems to always be one step ahead of everyone and has some sort of power to allow him to be more powerful than anyone else. It's a bit annoying, but I'm hoping that in the final third of this novel he gets his just desserts. And let me just say, before I get to the ending of this novel, you can rest your mind, because every complaint I had about any of these three novels was made up for by the ending of this novel. So Lynchu was pulled into the chamber by a tarmac priest, and she and her friends steal the eggs back after discovering that they were being artificially aged by the tarmac, and that they're almost ready to hatch. Crucible took them to a long dormant volcano for safety, and Lynchia continued toward the large plainsman and centaur army that was coming to liberate Duntolik. The tarmacs didn't have their full force, but Lanther was back and ready to reclaim Lynchia. It was revealed that the Tarmac prophecy Ariakin claimed to be the personification of ended up being a lie, and the true Amarel, or demigod, was to be from the Draft Kincaela, which is Lynsha. So Lanther wants his son, who is going to be the actual Amarel, um, and he doesn't even care whether he has to do uh, what he has to do to Lynsha to get that child. So clearly he is just focused on he's going to rape her and he's going to take the baby and if he doesn't just give her to his troops to ravage at their pleasure then he's just going to kill her. The tarmac noticed that the forces split and guessed that the eggs were brought to the volcano so that they in turn uh, go to reclaim them rather than heading off to face off against the oncoming army. As soon as Lynch's group notices this, she rushes to the volcano with her forces. What ends up happening is something that made me want to metaphorically slap the author across her face. Lynch gives up and is once again a prisoner. Lanther knows that Crucible is coming, so he readies his abyssal lance and ends up striking Crucible with it. This knocks Crucible out of combat. Then he heads into the eggs and kills one in order to draw Lynch's full attention. However, simultaneously in Sanction, the War of Souls is finally reaching its conclusion and Tachesis is killed, which stops Lanther's powers that were actively destroying Lynch's mind, and the other gods return, including Kirijolith, who Lynch beseeches and is granted power by to defeat Lanther. As she is about to murder him once and for all, the dragon eggs come to peril. They can't break out of the, the actual dragon babies themselves can't break out of the eggs, and they require Lynchia to calm them down as a shaman actively works to aid them. Lanther, then, kills the shaman, whose apprentice steps in as Varia attacks Lanther to stop him from killing Lynchia. Then the dragon eggs hatch, and they all go after Lanther, devouring him. It is such a beautiful moment of revenge. The very eggs that Lanther has been destroying are his ultimate downfall, and I love it. I'm here all for it all day. I just, I, I can't get enough of it. And then Lynchia races back to Crucible. The Tarmac and Plainsman armies are actively at war, and Lynchia uses her newly divine power to help get the Abyssal Lance out of Crucible and heal him. They profess their love to each other, and Crucible flies into battle, aiding in the full rout of the Tarmac forces. 
Now that the War of Souls is over, Ayesta's spirit appears and thanks Alentia, who asks her to thank Ian Dern's spirit for helping her in the past trilogy, if she happens to see him. Then, Chain, the Silver Dragon, appears, calling Lynchia to Sangchrist to speak to the Knight's Council. They end up making her a knight in exile, so she can watch over the newly hatched dragons with Crucible in sanction. And I honestly loved this ending. They left it open for her to rejoin the knighthood when the dragons are older, but who knows, or cares, if she does. This happy ending was so unlike any Dragonlance novel I've ever read, where everything seems to end in mourning or loss, even when it's in victory. I felt real joy vicariously through Lynchia, Varia, and Crucible. And now, I want a clutch of dragon eggs of my own. So if you enjoyed the War of Souls era, I would highly recommend this novel. If you just like a good Dragonlance story, you should read this trilogy. I don't think you'll re regret it once you've completed it. So, that is my review of this. Um, Chris, how you doing? Mad Atreides, how you doing? Thanks for tuning in live. You're somewhat surprised to hear of a Dragonlance novel you've never heard of before, but again, you remember how many. Yeah, there's a ton of them. Hey, Jeff, thanks for tuning in. So um, this ended up being a really satisfying novel, though there are some tropes that Mary Herbert kept going back to annoyingly. If you were a player and she was your dungeon master, you would not play in her game anymore. It's so frustrating and annoying. Lynchia is still in a, in, unable to remain a free woman. She's constantly getting captured throughout this entire trilogy. It is so annoying and frustrating. She is constantly used against other characters and she willingly goes along with it. Or vice versa, which makes zero sense. And this abyssal lance nonsense, where you can just take off tiny little slivers of it, stick it in someone, and it'll slowly make their way into their heart, is the stupidest shit I ever heard in my life. I don't care if it is from the abyss or if it was forged by Tachesis herself. You break apart a magic item, the magic is gone. That's the whole reason in the Fifth Age that uh, sorcerers were looking for magic items to destroy them, use that power to then enhance their spells. But you just happen to have this one artifact that it doesn't matter if you break it apart into as many pieces as you want, the main piece always remains powerful and every subsequent tiny sliver has the same power as the main piece? Get the hell out of here. That's stupid. That's ridiculous. So constant kidnapping, thumbs down. Super powerful abyssal lance toothpicks, thumbs down. Just the dumbest shit ever. However, as annoying as Lanther has been throughout this entire trilogy, to finally see him get what's coming was great. And it was totally worth it too. Because you saw, you knew it was coming. You knew that ending was in the mail as soon as he went to that clutch of eggs in the volcano. You're just like, oh, you know what would be a great ending if this happened? And then it happened. So that made me feel really good. And I, I, I don't know what it was, but I was going through this weird emotional um, sort of roller coaster at the very end of this uh, novel. The last three or four chapters really were getting to me. The fact that Lanther and Crucible finally, I'm sorry, not Lanther, but Lynchia and Crucible finally reconcile their differences. She understands that because she's heard of Gilthanas and Silvara, that she has to... Bridging the, the, the gap between the worlds of humans and dragons, or any race and dragons, 
is insurmountable. You're going to be facing problems that you can't face realistically in any other relationship. But it's worth it. And that just speaks to the idea that love, as difficult as it can be, is worth it. And as someone who's been married for well over 22 years, I think we're on like 24 at this point. <laughs> I should probably do the math before I say that. Um, but it's around 24 <laughs> without doing the math. Uh, I, I can say that, yeah, like love is worth it. If you, if you put in the time, you put in the effort, then it just, it, you know, you're going to, in any sort of union, you're going to have those ebbs and flows where there's moments where you really dislike the other person or you just don't care for them or you just are passionate about them. But through it all is this thread of love that only grows stronger and stronger throughout the entire relationship. And that she is seeing this as a potential in her connection with Lord Bite or Crucible is beautiful. And the fact that this is aimed at kids and letting them then understand that love is difficult, that relationships are work, is important. Because it's true. There, that whole, the whole happy, happily ever after bullshit that we've always been taught since childhood is a lie. And it's never been true. We have to be honest with what relationships, human and otherwise relationships, actually are. You know, in the game setting, if you're in like Tannis and uh, um, Lorana, he's a half-elf, which means he ages infinitely faster than Lorana ever does. And so their relationship is going to be strained just by age. And of course, it ends up being strained by world events before the age can really be a factor. But it's still the reality of these, these sort of uh, relationships in uh, these fantasy worlds. And I just really loved how they approached it. You know, with all of these reviews, I hit the main bullet points of what's happened and what's going on in them. I don't hit every little minutia or of, of dialogue and event and monologue, you know, in, in characters' heads. And so if you're only getting exposed to these stories by these reviews, you're not really getting the totality of the actual story. And I would highly recommend that you just read these yourselves. They're very, all of these Dragonlands books are very, very short. I can't think of any of them off the top of my head that are more than 400 pages. So you can burn through them in a couple days. And, you know, if you just want to like read the books or if you want to listen to them in audio, you can burn through them in one day, just have it on, you know, a higher speed. And so uh, you really get a lot more out of them than I'm presenting in this. I'm just doing this to be succinct and, and direct about how I felt about the totality of the novel rather than giving you a beat by beat synopsis. You know what I mean? So this one in particular, it really, it, it really made me feel good in, in it. It made the aspects of the other novels that I really didn't like just infinitely overlooked. Like I just don't care about what bothered me anymore because it was that good. Um, and Mary Herbert isn't that great of an author. If I'm going to be honest, I mean, she's okay. You know, Clandestine Circle was great. This one ended up being great, but she uses tired tropes over and over and over again. Her female characters are never strong. The male characters are always stronger and they can overtake everyone, whether it's a dragon or whether it's uh, a female. It's just like the guys always beat the shit out of the girls, which is another shit trope. Like I'm tired. I'm so tired of this idea that every warrior culture has to subjugate their women. We have our own human histories of women warriors in cultures, of women being the landowners in different cultures. 
why it always has to be the guy is just the monster who abuses women. It, it, it just, it's, it's tired. Like move past it. We are in a time where it does. First of all, it never made sense, but we're in a time when we should be able to get past that idea and just allow women to be powerful because they're just themselves, not because they're women, not because they're, you know, a certain species of woman, but just because it's a character and this character can have strength, inner, you know, uh, inner directive, uh, passion, and uh, a sense of purpose without having a male to define her. It's always bothered me about fantasy tropes, and Dragonlance has always done a great job of trying to skirt around it or avoid it. Mary Herbert dived deep into it, and it sucked. But again, the story ended up working out, so we had to look for, for the good in all the nonsense as well. But that's all I had. So uh, thanks, guys, for tuning in. This has ended up being like a really short review. Actually, a lot shorter than I expected it to be. So um, I would, uh, that's going to be it for my review of uh, Return of the Exile by Mary H. Herbert. What did you think of the Abyssal Lance? Do you think the Tarmac would rebuild their ships and try to reinvade the Plains of Dust? And finally, do you feel, uh, how do you feel about Lynch and Majir's journey? You can always email me at info at dlsaga.com or leave a comment below. I would like to take a moment and remind you to subscribe to this YouTube channel, ring the bell to get notified about upcoming videos, and click the like button. All of that goes to help other Dragonlance fans learn about this channel and its content. And this channel is all about celebrating the wonderful world of the Dragonlance Saga. Thank you so much for joining the celebration. Once again, this has been Adam with Dragonlance Saga. Until next time, Slanjavara.